This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are continuing our A24 retrospective. This is our 14th edition of the series. You can listen to episodes 211, A24 retrospective The Rover, 205, A24 retrospective Obvious Child, or go all the way back to 108, A History of A24 Films, to get the full backstory of the company. Today, we're looking at 2014's Tusk, directed by Kevin Smith. The film stars Justin Long as Wallace, a podcaster who travels to Winnipeg, Manitoba, and decides to interview a former sailor, Howard Howe, played by Michael Parks, who has lured Wallace in hopes of performing a grotesque surgery on him. I want to welcome back to the show Nathan Sizemore. Nathan is one-third of the I Hope You Suffer podcast, where each week, Nate, Katie, and Kit review self-described wonderfully terrible horror movies. Nathan was last heard on ContraZoom way back on episode 128, Fright Flicks, where Nathan actually recommended Tusk as his horror comedy pick. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Nathan. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I forgot I recommended Tusk in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) And all I remember is just uh, Katie verbally rolling her eyes uh, (laughs) at your pick. (laughs) Yeah, that's common. (laughs) <laughs> I was kind of hoping that she would be able to come on too because I, I actually just wanted to listen to the two of you talk about this and I would have been totally fine sitting in the background giggling the whole time. <laughs> right. I it's it's definitely a movie that I'm very curious for her to watch at some point because I feel like she's it's it's gonna go one of two ways, or either she's gonna be very into it or absolutely despise it. I don't think there would be a middle ground. Yeah, I I definitely agree. After watching it, of uh, you're basically going to come away with one of those two feelings, uh, and and I think you and, and probably other people might be a little surprised with with how I uh, reacted to it. But uh, I knew when I started this series that uh, I had circled Tusk as the one that I needed to have you on because a you had mentioned it on when you came on on the show previously, but also you'll tweet about it every once in a while. Every time you do, it's always that like add an extra highlighter layer to the you have to make sure Nathan comes on for this show. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I've um when we started I Have You Suffer, Tusk was like on my short list and for some reason we've just never gotten to it. And then I hit a point where I was like, I'm periodically just gonna tweet at Kevin Smith and I'm just gonna be like, I'm not doing Tusk till he accepts coming on the podcast, which is <laughs> never gonna happen. So <laughs> That's funny. And I know it's funny because you've told me in the past where you've had people reach out to you, be like, hey, you should cover my movie. And your response is that you're going to be brutally honest whether you like it or not. And they kind of back down from that. So it'd be actually interesting for Kevin Smith to come on considering how uh, self-deprecating he can be at times to sort of break down a movie that some people really don't like and some people really, really do like. Yeah, so it's interesting because – so I'm like – I don't want to say the term apologist because I don't apologize for like, I, I, I'm a Kevin Smith like fan since renting chasing Amy when I was like 12 and not fully knowing what I had like no idea what it really was. And remember like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to rent this like weird comedy and like as a 12 year old and then watching chasing Amy and like, being like, I don't know what I just watched. Why am I crying? What's happening? Like, <laughs> um, and so like, I, I generally, I, I back pretty much all of his movies. Like I enjoy all of them. I know there's things like Tusk and like yoga hosers and whatnot, where like people are 
pretty against them and whatever. But I've like, I, so I've I've been like a fan of his for a long time. Listen to all the podcasts and stuff, and I feel like it's one of those things where it's like the dude is just making the art he wants to make at this point. And I find the backlash against that very interesting. And especially in regards to Tusk, where he's talked about been like, you know, some people come up and it's like, Oh, this is so good. And he's like, yeah, isn't it? And then other people come up like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. He's like, right. Isn't it like, (laughs) like he knows, like he knows it's not like, I don't I was going to say he knows it's not a serious movie, but that sounds like shitty. Like it's, it's, he, he knows what, like, it's not like a movie that he was like, I'm making this, I'm going for like Oscar bait kind of like, you know, whatever. Like he, like the premise of the movie is so ridiculous that like, you can't make this movie and be like, no, this is a serious movie that people have to take (laughs) seriously. Like the Godfather. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's 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 definitely it's like a polarizing movie, even like within his fan base, within like the horror fan base. So I'm uh I'm excited to dive into it. Always do sober what you do drunk. It'll teach you to keep your mouth shut. Hemingway said that. Yes, he did, and he said it to me. To go to Canada tomorrow. It's for the podcast. It's what I do. I travel around and I interview weird or interesting people. So look out, you crazy Canucks! Wandering Wallace <laughs> takes a raunchy road trip up to the Great White North. Hello, I'm an old man who has enjoyed a long and storied life at sea. And after eons of oceanic adventure, I know I do not wish to spend my remaining years alone when I have such stories to share. How far is Bifrost from here? It's about two hours from here. It's about two hours away. I hate American guys. Awesome. Okay, so uh, filling in a little bit of backstory here, Tusk is a film written and directed by Kevin Smith, as we just said, the man behind Clerks and the Jay and Silent Bob movies, among others. Back in 2011, Smith pivoted from his traditional sort of laid-back stoner comedies to direct his first horror movie, Red State. Tusk was his follow-up film in second foray into horror. Tusk was also his first in the proposed True North trilogy of horror movies taking place in Canada. Yoga Hosers is the second film in the series with the announced Moose Jaws as the final installment. (laughs) The movie is about Wallace, an arrogant podcast host who has a show called The Nazi Party, N-O-T-S-E-E, with Haley Joel Osment as his co-host Teddy. They find videos on the internet and make fun of them for comedy purposes. Wallace goes to Winnipeg to interview the Kill Bill Kid, a spoof of Star Wars Kid about a young man who swings around a samurai sword in his garage ungracefully and accidentally cuts his leg off. When he gets to Canada, he finds out that the boy has committed suicide. Not wanting to waste his trip, he finds a personals ad in a bar about an old man who has plenty of stories to tell. Wallace decides to pay a visit to the wheelchair-bound Howard Howe, who drugs him and begins to perform surgery on him to make Wallace a human walrus, tusks and all. The film premiered during the Midnight Madness portion of the 2014 Toronto International Film Festival, where it was named the first runner-up for the people's choice of that category. The film had its wide release on September 19th, and A24 acquired the film during pre-production after Smith walked away from a Blumhouse Productions deal over a release date strategy and Blumhouse wanting an unknown lead. This is going to be a spoiler-filled episode, so if you have not watched the film, we suggest doing that first. Uh, 
I think the starting point, starting off point for our conversation should be the big point that I didn't talk about in the introduction. The movie was based on a podcast episode of Kevin Smith's Smodcast show on episode 259, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Smith and his co-host, Scott Moiser, read a prank personals ad where a homeowner was offering a living situation free of charge if the lodger agrees to dress as a walrus. They spend the next hour crafting an entire narrative of this setup and in the end announce that they want to make a movie, asking fans to use the hashtag WalrusYes to show support. So, how does the first movie being based on a podcast episode work for you, Nathan? So, it's no secret that <laughs> I adore this movie. Yes. Like, there, there's some some things in it that I could I I could have had taken out of it that we will definitely get to but like overall this is this is one of like I would say if I did like a top 20 horror movies this would probably be in it it's uh it's pretty high up on my list and I uh yeah I'm I'm generally a very big fan of it it's funny where we are at now as as a society where I still cringe whenever, you know, people make jokes about podcasting and movies or TV shows because I get it. Like what we do is silly. We're we're talking into microphones and blabbering on about whatever BS we feel like we deserve to have an audience for sort of thing. But I know back in 2014 it was even more of a curiosity having something as big as a full movie being based on a podcast and considering podcasts were still new and having the lead characters be podcasters where you get all real meta with, with this sort of stuff. And, uh, and I can't help but sort of look back and, and sort of realize that I feel like Smith kind of accurately was portraying that era of podcasts and podcasters in a way that has aged well in the sense of like, that's really what it was like. There was a lot of these like very uh, douchey, broy stuff that sort of has given rise to shows like the Joe Rogan experience and stuff like that, where that was the prototype of just people making fun of other people basically as comedy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would not be surprised if there were at least 30 podcasts in the world that were Basically, just basically after this movie came out, stole the idea of I'm gonna go hear someone's story and then come back and tell my friend about it. Whether it's as like douchey as you know Wallace's like version of it, maybe maybe not. But like <laughs> I don't know if I find it. No, I guess I can't say I find it hard to believe there's somebody out there that would like be as kind of terrible about it as Wallace. But I'm sure there is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of I just remember that like era of comedy and and I just sort of look back and be like, man, I can't believe people found this shit funny then. Uh, and, I, and I just re- was in research of this reading reviews that were coming out at the time, just people's reactions to it. And, and the biggest criticism seemed to have been about the how dare they make a movie about a podcast? How, how ridiculous <laughs> is this? You can't take podcasters seriously. And I think that sort of is also the real crux of this entire movie of don't take this movie that seriously, guys. No, yeah, there's like the it's 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 interesting because it's like I don't know how you go into a movie 
where the premise is another guy turns somebody into a walrus and be like, oh, this is going to be like, especially from Kevin Smith of all people and be like, well, this is going to be like on par with David Cronenberg's The Fly. Like I should take this seriously as like a high art piece. And it's like, no, like (laughs) I, I feel like from like the opening scene of them doing the podcast, you should immediately be like, okay, this isn't a dead serious horror movie. I should uh, like adjust my expectations of what I think I'm getting. And I think that sort of goes for pretty much all of Kevin Smith's career. If you, if you really think about it, like his comedies, like you were talking about with chasing Amy aren't always that funny. They, they have real emotional course of them that make you, that will make you cry and things like that. And, and has a great eye for satire. And so it, shouldn't be that much of a shock that when someone like Kevin Smith pivots from doing comedy that isn't really that funny to horror that isn't that scary, uh, that he's not really going to be playing by the traditional rules anyways. Yeah. And like horror and comedy take, there's a very fine line you have to walk to make a horror comedy work. Like there's, there's not a lot of horror comedies that, I think really nail the balance that you have to have, like where some of them are just too heavy into comedy and some of them are not, don't lean into the comedy enough. And like there's, it's, it's a weird mix in Tusk. Cause like I, I absolutely can watch it and be like, okay, I definitely, I, it's the same way like how like Kevin Smith said, where he's like, well, like people say this is great. And I say, yeah, isn't it? And people say this is trash. And I say, isn't it? Like, I absolutely get the people that are like, this sucks. This doesn't work for me. And I think a lot of it has to do with like a lot of the jokes in Tusk kind of probably only work as well as they do if you're like overly familiar with his podcast work because so much of it is references from podcast episodes that he's done up to that point and like you know to the to the all the way down to like Wallace's cell phone ring tone is a clip from like Hollywood Babylon like he 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 like overflows Tusk especially with jokes that are so like podcast podcast episode specific that like if I can't imagine well I, I don't even have to say I can't imagine. So I saw Tusk in the theater when it came out. I'm one of I, I went to like a screening where it was me. I dragged my mom with me for <laughs> I don't even know why. I think we were going to do like dinner afterwards. I was like, well, I'm going to go to this movie if you want to go. So she went with me having no idea what she was about to get into. (laughs) And then there was one other guy in the screening with us who. After it ended was just like, what the hell was that? And I was just like, yeah, I don't know how to explain this to you because like the only reason I found any of these jokes funny is I had the reference of listening to all of these podcasts leading up to it. And knowing what that joke came from, the cop that they that um, oh, I can't remember their names now, Haley Joel Osment and Genesis like go and meet up with. I can't remember their character names are blanking on me at the moment. Um, 
like the cop they meet up with in Canada is Ralph Garbid, one of his podcast co-hosts, that in like episode two or three of the podcast they do together, someone wrote in a, a letter and accidentally called him Frank Garmin instead. So his name <laughs> plate in the movie is just like Frank Garmin. And that's just like a joke that only works if you've listened to that podcast. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I approached this movie having never listened to any of, of Kevin Smith's podcast. So all of this was sort of brand new and fresh for me. And, and for the most part, I feel like I was on the wavelength of the humor. Obviously, I, I probably wasn't getting some of the the subtle things. I did notice Ralph Garman because I, I recognize him from the Joe Schmo show when he was yeah. on that. That was such uh, a good show. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Yeah, um, I, I did see his name play. I'm like Frank. Gar- that's not his name, and I was so I was confused because I was like I recognize him. I'm like, is his name Frank Garman? Am I forgetting this? And then it wasn't until the credits, and I didn't even point that together until you just said that now that it was done intentionally so that's that's interesting but for the most part i think the comedy still worked even if i don't know the sort of i I, i'm not a part of the the in group of of these jokes but i'm sure you can have a deeper level of appreciation for for the movie if you do know the podcast as intimately as someone like you do and and that sort of raised the question did kevin smith really make this movie for at most a few thousand people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the thing is, and I think it's a, it's, it's a weird, there's a weird reaction people have to Kevin Smith where for like his first five movies through like Jay and Silent Bob strike back, people would be like, Oh, get away from these characters, do something new, like expand yourself. And then when he finally did, everybody was like, why aren't you making Jay and Silent Bob movies anymore? And like, I feel like he has this, like, well, you can't even say, like, fan base, because, like, so many people just are kind of now, especially with, like, the prevalence of, like, Twitter and Facebook or whatever, that are just kind of there to just whatever he does are just going to tell him he sucks at it, you know? It's just the way the internet is. But, like, he, he hit this point, I feel like, after around the time he did red state and kind of has continued since red state where he's just like, like, do you, do you know like the story behind red state and him kind of like pissing off the critics and like kind of quote unquote burning his career down? Uh, no, I haven't seen red state. I remember when it came out, it, it seemed like it was such a weird departure for him. I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say I'm a huge Kevin Smith's fan. I've seen, a bunch of his movies, probably six or seven total. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know the story behind red state. So please feel free to elaborate. Yeah. So when, when he made red state, he, they, they made this big thing. Like it was his, like, you know, like it was his like quote unquote return to like independent cinema because he, you know, pretty much since clerks, he's been with universal and then was like with, uh, beer max and like whatever was pretty much constantly working in the studio system making like his kind of lower budget movies but still like it was a it was the studio system he wasn't doing like independent movies and red state was like completely he found the funding for it all of that stuff and he made this point of like had like had this like sort of publicity stunt where he went to like sundance i think and was like, I'm going to auction the movie off to like whoever, and then they'll have, they'll be able to release it. And then like, 
went and did this auction and was like, I think one of the producers of the movie did the first bid. He was like, sold. Actually, we're releasing the movie ourselves, blah, blah, blah. And like, we're not going to send it to critics first. We're just going to do whatever. And like, kind of like went after the entire like system of promotion in major studio movies, you know, where studios will spend sometimes more than the movie cost to make on just promotion for mm-hmm. movies. And Smith was like, I've been doing this for 20 years at this point. And he's like, I've, I know like my movies make roughly $30 million, no matter what the budget is. Like my base comes to these movies, promoting my movies to another base. Isn't like it does. It doesn't work. So like, I don't know why I would make this, five million dollar movie and then have you spend ten million dollars to promote it to people who aren't gonna come. So let me do like what I'm on he's or he was like, I'm gonna I'm doing Red State, or I you know, I made the movie. I'm not sending it out to critics to review. I'm uh like gonna like I'm not gonna just do the typical here's a bunch of commercials, blah blah blah. He's like, I'm gonna go out tour it myself. He's like, I'm gonna four wall it. And that's what he did. And critics like lost their mind. It was like, Kevin Smith has imploded. He's burned his entire career down. They just like, when the movie finally came out, like shit all over it. Despite it, like it's, I like there's, it's red States. Another one where it's like Tusk. where like, I fully enjoy that movie, but I could also see why people don't enjoy that movie. And it was just like an interesting thing that like he, went back to making like independent movies and then kind of was like, I'm making movies for like my base. And if you don't like it, don't watch them. I, I don't care. Like I'm making the movies I want to make for my fan base. And that's, that's it. Like it's kind of, it's kind of the same way that like, as much as I don't like Rob zombies movies, I respect that he found his like niche. And it's like, I'm, gonna just keep making the movies the way i want to make them and if like my my base is going to go see them and they'll probably enjoy them because it's my sensibility every time and they seem to enjoy that and like if you don't then i i don't care like i'm making the art i want to make as best as i can and then you know if it's just plays to my base then so be it and I, I kind of respect that of somebody that knows sort of their, I guess, limitate, not limitation sounds bad, but like, you know, like they're the, the, they, they know they've, ex- they've hit the reach they're going to make with the art they make. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep aiming for that instead of being like, I need to get everybody that goes to see the Avengers to come see my weird movie where somebody (laughs) turns somebody into a walrus. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that's like a, a a respectable choice for people that especially have been making movies long enough that it's like, I know how the system works and I know that my ethos and the way I do things doesn't work in that system. Yeah. Like it's, it's, uh, refreshing ahead. it's refreshing and it's it's also kind of frustrating that there is the need to still f- try to force someone like kevin smith 
into uh, a system. It's like, well, this is the way it's done because this is the way we've always done it sort of thing. And it's it very much sort of, like, I, I don't want to compare his style to the rise of, of, of streaming services and things like that, but sort of in a different ideology where, like, when, when streaming services first started and they're just like, what do you mean? You can't just have a... A, a, a high-profile movie come out on your service. That makes no sense. That's not how it's done. And so I sort of appreciate that, like you're talking about with, with people like Kevin Smith, people like Rob Zombie, and, you know, there's a whole host of people who sort of just do their own thing. Is like, hey, you know, people that like my movies are going to see my movies no matter what. Like, uh, yeah, give or take, they'll be there. It's, it's also, it's just like an interesting thing where people get mad at that as if that wasn't like, like there were, there were so many people that have had 40 year careers based on like, no, I know. Like I, I make straight to DVD or straight to VHS back in the day movies. Like I know, I, you know, I know my movie's not going to play in a theater, but like I, I, I've managed to have a career and live a perfectly comfortable life making these movies that are strictly going to go straight to Tubi or whatever, you know? Like, I don't think there's a shame in that, like whatsoever for that. If you're making as long as you're, Making your art the way you are comfortable making that art, absolutely do it. I don't think nice. you, I don't think people have to. I think going back, because especially with this movie dealing with like podcasts, like I feel like there's this weird mindset in the kind of podcast community where I've seen a podcast start up and just try their damnedest that they're, they're like, I'm going to be the next you know, last podcast on the left of like, you know, I'm going to be the next huge horror podcast. And I'm like, just I like, I, I like you can't, I don't know. one of those things where like, I feel bad kind of like going after some people like that. We're like, I get it. Like it would have been, you know, you, I don't think anyone goes into doing whatever they, their, their thing is with the idea of like, ah, I'm, you know, I, I think people go into it. Like, it would be awesome to, have this somehow work out where this could be a job that I make a living off of. But it's like, I feel like a lot of people go into things like, especially podcasts where they're like, I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan. This is going to be so sick. And it's like, I think you need to just go into it with your passion of whatever you're going to discuss, however your plan is, and just hope that it catches on with whatever crowd it catches on instead of immediately be like, I'm going to try to make this become a, hundred thousand dollar a year job for me because then it's like it just kind of like reeks of the of like well you're not super passionate about this you're just kind of trying to become popular sort of influencer thing yeah no that's that's fair um i maybe we should we should pivot a little bit and start reviewing the movie a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah. uh i I'm going to reveal here, uh, I actually really like this movie. I was not expecting to like this movie, and I found myself on its wavelength and was enjoying it, uh, except for it, once the movie goes in a certain direction, which we'll save that for a little <laughs> bit, but uh, which I, I'm sure, as your laughter there suggests, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, the actual concept, you know, it sounds a little ridiculous, but, you know, these sort of high-concept movies like this, if you have a committed director doubling as a writer and cast and they're all on the same page and know what you're working towards. You can really pull something off like this. And I got to say, I'm, I'm super impressed with 
Justin Long. You know, I, I think he's a funny guy. I've enjoyed a lot of his other movies, but I've never really seen any sort of real depth from him. In the way that his character starts out, I was sort of expecting a traditional Justin Long performance. And as it went on and as he's sort of being tortured and, you know, having his legs, uh, you know, sawed off and then he's slowly uh, being outfitted with uh, this disgusting skin suit that is sewn onto his body and, and the transformation is getting more and more grotesque. I felt a real character change with him and I was super impressed. I've never seen this depth from Justin Long before. And and I was like, damn, is is Justin Long secretly like one of the best working actors today and just hasn't been given the right parts to, to show it off? Like I, I've been doubting my entire life now of everything I know about this guy. Yeah, I think it's like, I think he got kind of, you know, for a period just typecast as like the, the like a funny, cute guy in movies and like, you know, I I can't say I've seen a lot of stuff he's done, but I've seen like a good portion of like the horror stuff he's jumped in. Like he's pretty good in like Drag Me to Hell, but his role's like not deep as kind of like this one is. Like he's just sort of like the the boyfriend of like the the main character in Drag Me to Hell. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a lot of stuff like that where it's like I feel like most of the stuff I've really seen him in, he's like a secondary character or like a cameo or something. So yeah, it's, it's, it was the same way where I was like, when I first went into seeing Tusk, I was like, cause like at first you're like, Oh boy, this guy sucks. And then it's like, <laughs> once, once the actual plot kicks into gear, he's so good. Like the scene with him and Michael parks, when he, when uh, he first wakes up and is missing the leg, He's like, he's just, he's killing it. Him and Park, like Michael Parks, I can't say enough good things about in this movie. And like the two of them, like acting off each other and like that scene and the one at like the dinner table are just both so good of like him just being just absolutely scared and baffled by the entire situation as Michael Parks is just slowly like revealing himself to just be completely crazy it's just yeah he's he's just so good mm-hmm. yeah and that, that's the other component to this movie because it's, it's basically more or less a two-hander then you've got some some b story going on as well but it's it's really between justin long and michael parks and i really only know michael parks from his bit parts in like tarantino movies and, and stuff like that I, i'm not super familiar i know he has a, a pretty big career that i'm sure you're more familiar with than than i am uh, but yeah, it's, it basically was just like, let's give an opportunity to a great character actor to just like go truly unhinged, chew the scenery, chew everything around him, uh, and, and, and not hold back at all. And, and I sort of appreciate that they also kind of like slowly turn the temperature up on his craziness too because like you, you first meet the two of them together when 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 wallace goes to howard's house and you know howard when wallace is like being a dick and like you know making fun of his stories and like being his you know douchey humor podcast self that he is and you slowly see howard just kind of like nodding along and being like yeah i appreciate that i have the company here and then slowly as he's revealing more and like telling his like sailing stories and and all that sort of fun stuff, it sort of like ramps up. You're like, okay, this guy's interesting. 
And then once we get to like that first like post cut surgery scene where he's sort of revealing oh, like, oh, a spider bit your leg had to had to amputate you there. That's when like <laughs> the crazy trains, you know, full on it's going 500 miles an hour. You can't stop this thing. And and all the way up until his his big spoiler here, uh, his final scene where he dies when Wallace finally kills him just like pure unhinged insanity and it works because it fits with kevin smith's tone of what he's trying to do and you have justin long across from him just being absolutely bewildered the whole time of like (laughs) who the hell is this guy and what is he doing to me so it really works that the two of them can play off each other and hit those highs the way they do yeah uh, like kind of like go like the the one scene specifically I think that works the best is the scene where they're sitting at the dinner table and like Howard's just like eating, having the conversation, and Justin Long is just like kind of like staring at him for a minute, just like in this weird haze, and he's just like, Why can't I move my arms? And he's like, Oh, like I had to like give you morphine for the pain. He's like, No, you like you gave me you just basically you've immobilized me. And, you know, they have the back and forth and like, like, I forget exactly how it comes up, but all of a sudden, like Howard just starts doing like the creepiest version of Itsy Bitsy Spider. Oh, yeah. And like, like Justin Long is just like, what the what the fuck is happening? It starts like screaming. And this like, I guess this was like a a Michael Parks choice because like Kevin Smith has talked about he was like I wanted him to like get up and run over and like smack him to get him to stop screaming and Michael Parks was like no it needs to be like slow and like creepy and he like gets up out of the chair Justin Long just like screaming his head off for help and he just slowly walks over slaps him and then just gives him a point with this like just like cold face and I'm just like it's there's few things that like horror, like horror movies don't fully affect me where people are just like, Oh, this was like really scary to me. Like, it's just not how they hit me, especially like anymore. But there's something about like Michael parks in that moment that I'm like, okay, I believe this dude is like real and is like not fucking around. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think a key to that scene that you talk about that works so well is because up until that point, we've only seen Howard in a wheelchair. Oh yeah. 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 And, and they're doing this big, interesting scene and and justin long is slowly starting to freak out and then he stands up and you you just sort of i i wasn't expecting i sort of expected it because i like you know the premise of the movie you're like okay i bet you he's not really in a wheelchair or something like that you're not too sure how it's all gonna play out and you just sort of see him very slowly stand up and just the realization on justin long's face of yeah it's not morphine it wasn't a spider that bit me i am in deep shit here this guy is has has lured me in here, tricked me, and all the stuff that's happened, it's only gonna get worse from here on out. Yeah, and it's like kind of to to jump on the thing where you said about like Justin Long in this movie and kind of like realizing like how good he is, like a good portion of his stuff in this movie is either reactions to things or completely like dialogue lists because he gets yeah. his tongue cut out at a certain point and is just like in a walrus suit. And like you kind of like a lot of the time he's in the suit, you like focus in on his eyes and it's that like acting with your eyes kind of thing where you're just like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm fully in on like the wavelength that he's pulling off here. And especially in like those, those two scenes too, that's like him and parks just going back and forth. Like, 
you see it in his face that like he's like he almost it almost feels like real like that he's legitimately like oh wait is like he like he he falls into that seed where you're, he's just like oh this dude's legitimately terrifying me yeah absolutely um and so i i sort of uh mentioned before that the movie mostly works for me and there is one character in particular <laughs> that the second he comes on screen just completely kills the momentum you've got a surprise johnny depp performance where he is not credited by name he is only credited by his character's name which is uh steve laplante a guy it's, it's guy lapointe Guy Lapointe, yeah. sorry, yeah, wow, Steve Laplante. That's uh, that was a different movie. I actually just reviewed, but that was a, a real actor's name in it. <laughs> uh, very, very sorry there. Um, yeah, he plays Guy Lapointe, uh, who is this uh, French Canadian detective, and this was back in the day, back at the heights of tim burton making actually good movies i i really thought johnny depp was one of the the greatest actors ever and slowly has just descended to just doing so much garbage and it's sort of coincided with the reveal of him just being such a, a shitty human being as well yeah um and it's just like, what the hell is going on? And and I and watching this movie, you, you can kind of tell that there's a bit of an improvisational nature to aspects of the scene. That you can imagine that some of the stuff that Michael Parks is doing, it probably is him just like, let's see how far I can take this scene and, and go and seeing what kind of reactions I can get out of Justin Long. That all makes sort of sense. And then you get Johnny Depp show up. And you feel like, did Kevin Smith be like, I didn't write anything for this. Just make it up as you go. Because it is just the worst aspects of improvised comedy. Like, if you're ever at, like, a stand-up comedy show or an improv show and you see it go off the rails of just like, ooh, these people are just not funny. And everything that they say is just increasingly not funnier. That's what it was like watching Johnny Depp in these scenes. They were far too long. They made no sense. He had this ridiculous ass accent that kept coming and going. It just ground the movie to a halt where I was like, no, seriously, I want to go back to the gross surgery stuff <laughs> rather than listen to Johnny Depp for another second more. Yeah, I I'm I'm torn on it because it's like I think if he if it was just that scene when they're in the fast food restaurant, yeah. I'm in. Like I I could I could take that. I think he's like it's just enough that it doesn't become like overboard with how like stupid the character is. And there's certain moments in it that like, I do think are like funny dialogue deliveries where he does the thing where he's like, can you guys like come closer? And he just like has the, like the other two characters get like right next to his face just to be like, I think I've been following this. You know, if it's the same guy I've been following, like whatever dialogue he says, like yeah. there's parts in that scene that I'm like, I totally get with. And it's like everything after that, and like the only reason he's in it is um, Kevin Smith's daughter Harley, and then has been like you know best friends with Johnny Depp's daughter. They went to school together as kids, and like they've just been like best friends or whatever. And they're the two convenience store workers. Mm -hmm. So like Johnny Depp's daughter was already in the movie, and like that's I guess originally Smith went to Tarantino to play that role, and. I forget Tarantino was either like busy or was just like, yeah, I'm like in like director mode. I'm not in like actor mode, like whatever. And so like the, I guess the next person he went to was like Johnny Depp about it. Johnny Depp was like, yeah, I want to do a movie with my daughter. I'll do this. And it's just like, I, 
I think Smith has talked about like a lot of the choices for like the way he talks, like the, the prosthetics on his face were all like Johnny Depp's ideas. And like, really they don't work at all. And it does like, it grinds the movie to a halt. Like when he pops up where it's, you're just this escalating building of tension of just like, what the hell is going on in this house? And then it's just all of a sudden it's like weird comedy hour with Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really didn't work for me. And it was, it was frustrating, especially like the, the second scene that he has. Like, I agree with you the the restaurant scene, I think it does have its moments because it does, it does sort of reveal some interesting plot aspects, especially filling in the idea of that this guy, Howard is a serial killer. And you, you sort of see that when you see the final walrus suit, that's like basically a, a silence of the lambs sort of thing where it's a skin suit sewn together of multiple people, skinned bodies. And so you're like, oh, okay, I, it's nice to have a little bit more context of who this guy is it's nice that part that aspect of it does work and then that second scene where it shows their interaction where he's like oh i believe i met him one time and uh and even michael parks i think isn't so great in that scene where he's doing this like really lispy high-pitched voice that he's got going on in there uh, didn't work for me but it, that scene is mostly johnny depp talking and it's just like what what is going on here yeah, that scene's a weird choice too, and I think, I think there's like the only there's like two reasons it kind of made it into the final film is that it, it's you know it's Johnny Depp and Michael Parks kind of going back and forth despite Johnny Depp kind of overtaking most of the scene, but there was like a thing where I guess like for whatever reason Michael Parks decided like that the weird way he was going to talk. And Kevin Smith was just like, like, hey, he's like, why did you, what, why did you make that choice? And he's like, oh, like I'm pretending, he's like, you know, I'm doing this impersonation of somebody that like used to have a hair lip. And Kevin Smith was like, yeah, I know. He's like, my dad had a hair lip, and it was like, like, there's this whole thing about like Kevin Smith's dad was like one of one of the first like handful of people that had this like experimental surgery thing to like fix like being bored with like a, a hair lip. And like, a, I think a cleft palate too. And he was like, you sound exactly like my dad. It's so weird. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons it stays in the movie and is like runs as long as mm. it is. But it's like, it's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very weird scene. And it's like, doesn't really add anything to the plot of the movie other than kind of, I guess, explaining the brown recluse stuff Michael <laughs> Parks has earlier. Yeah. But I I fully I fully agree that like you you could have easily cut like Johnny Depp should have been like a, as 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 opposed to being like a detective. He should have just been like a guy that has like history with Howard or something in the past that like knows what's going on that could have just been like you know, the, the excuse to have the sort of like exposition and dialogue dump that explains what's kind of going on. And then he just like disappears for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, giving the information that they need to, to help find him later on. Uh, maybe he was like a guy who was kidnapped by Howard and escaped. And so he, he has the, he's the only person that's ever survived him or something like that. And he has some nugget of information that, 
leads the his girlfriend and and podcast partner on their way to find them or something like that. Yeah. Like it's it is the one thing that I think sort of offsets the tone of the rest of the movie cuz in the podcast episode when they're like like I I guess the one thing we didn't say about like it's based on a podcast and the, like the thing from the podcast is they found this like uh, it was a site called Gumtree which I think is like the UK's like Craigslist where they somebody had put up a thing that was like, hey, this is the like it was an ad for a free place to live. But the only catch is, is like for an hour a day, you have to dress up as a walrus and you can't use any words. You have to make walrus sounds of like he'll throw fish at you or whatever. And it turned it out. And it was and it was like a hoax. But like they found this ad and like spun off into like this whole thing that like eventually just became the movie. I forget where I was going. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought in the podcast thing i forget how we got there either, either way um yeah it, it just sort of it's frustrating because for me you've got this very interesting body horror comedy thing going on that like is for me I, i'd probably call it like a four out of five movie and then as soon as you introduce the depth character it becomes like a, a one out of five <laughs> yeah so that that just tr- that triggered like whatever I was going in the podcast episode. Like as they're pitching the movie, you were never going to leave Howard's house. Once Wallace got there, it was just going to be the two of them. And like, I, I think you could have easily made that movie and still used like, uh, Haley, Joel Osment and, uh, Genesis Rodriguez as like a, you know, them just, you know, to cut away periodically and have it still work. And just cut out the entire like Johnny Depp storyline. Yeah. And keep, absolutely. keep the like creepy tone like escalating as they're trying to find, you know, their friend that's getting his tibias turned into walrus tusks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I, I think I, I, as a Canadian, I need to sort of chime in at <laughs> some of the This is what I, I wanted to ask about. <laughs> How yeah. how you felt as a Canadian, like watching some of it. <laughs> well, you know what, like, I'll, some of it, I, I, I we're, we're all self deprecating up here, so like we can take the jokes and things like that. That's that's no problem. It's the ridiculousness of like Johnny Depp being like, I want a double double, and that's eight creams and a eight sugars and a splash of cream. It's like what a double double is very specifically two cream and two sugar in your coffee, like. You can't say a double-double is eight sugars and a splash of cream. That makes no sense. His line of saying every time he gets into a car, he has to have one of those. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, that's clearly he thought of a funny line in his head. He's like, oh, man, this one's going to kill the audience. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like, I, 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 I like when Ralph Garman does the Canadian accent because it's so, like, He's like a pre- he's a very good like he's very good with like um impressions like he does a great like Adam West impression and he's like I I, I like when he does like a an accent but it's so like over the top that it's like so, and like, like so goofy like it is here where he's just like he does the very typical like a boot kind of like Canadian accent from like yeah. sitcoms which works and i think is like a like a perfectly like funny moment and then you swing all the way back over to johnny depp where he's doing like the french canadian and like the worst possible way 
Yeah, yeah. Like, it worked when you had Harley Morenstein, uh, who most people know from Epic Meal Time at the very beginning <laughs> as the border agent. We're where red, I white, thought that was never a- blue. <laughs> yeah, like, those jokes I thought were pretty funny because it's sort of like you get the Canadian stereotypes, you get the American version of the Canadian stereotypes, and it kind of flips it on its head a little bit. And so I had a good chuckle at that, the stuff that he was saying, where it's like um, – so I'm trying to remember the exact thing where he's just like, yeah, we're what we apologize, but we never, we don't back down or something like that. And so I thought that sort of stuff, I'm like, that's actually kind of clever. And I actually kind of appreciate it there. And the whole Winnipeg connection that they, that it takes place in Winnipeg and just outside Winnipeg and a town called Bifrost. But Winnipeg is the slurpy capital of the world. I don't know if you know this. So it, it made sense that he had that like goofy oversized convenience store drink because <laughs> that's something in Winnipeg they do drink a lot. Even in the winter, they're always drinking slurpees. Um, so I, I thought those little touches were sort of interesting and funny. And like, I don't, I don't care if you make fun of Canada. We've got more than enough shit to make fun of us about. Like, go ahead. It's just the, the you have to have, your jokes have to have a reason behind them to make sense and like the stupid stuff that Johnny Depp was doing. I'm like, it's, it's not funny. Like I get it. I get what you're doing, but it's just, you're not making me laugh still. Where's the humor in it? So, yeah, I, so that's my, my thing. I think the only joke that's in that vein with his, that lands for me is when they're getting ready to like storm Howard's house and he's handing them the guns and Genesis and Haley are just like, I don't want them. And he's like, what kind of Americans are turning down yeah. guns? Like, I think that's the most like, sort of a Canadian joke with his that like really lands. Yeah, I, I agree where you understand where that's coming from. So that joke makes sense. And like, I don't know. I feel like maybe the better things about Johnny Depp's character were probably either ideas or actually things written by Kevin Smith, because I, I, I can sort of sense that the more ridiculous stuff was Johnny Depp stuff. I know he loves big goofy mustaches and things like that. So that the prosthetic work makes sense of that's why he wants. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like the yoga hosers is the, like, you know, follows this. And like the, the basis of that movie is you follow the, their daughters, like the two convenience store clerks that goes into this whole, like, completely like ridiculous storyline but that movie like johnny depp comes back as gila point in that movie but it works a lot better because the tone of that movie is entirely goofy it's not like Mm -hmm. it's not all of a sudden just this like hard stop of like this tension and creepiness building to just now it's johnny depp comedy hour yeah yeah i agree uh, I think the last thing I, I, I kind of want to touch on before we get to our games portion is uh, what are your thoughts on the climax of this movie featuring the song Tusk by Fleetwood Mac? Fleetwood Mac. It's perfect for me because that is t- that the song Tusk is already like one of my favorite songs and the way it's used in the movie like of this just absolutely like insane idea for the climax of this movie of all of a sudden Michael Parks is now in a bigger walrus suit (laughs) and is like, you know, forcing Justin Long in this walrus suit to fight each other where they're just bouncing into each other and like, as like walruses do. And it's like Fleetwood Max Tusk playing where it's like so on the nose, but like fits perfectly. And I think the way it's edited 
is really smart too, where you have like, you know, they're, they're fighting and all of a sudden like Michael Parks stands up and is like bursting out of his walrus suit as like the drum marching band drum break thing happens. Like, I don't know. I, I really love it. Like the first, I remember the first time I watched it, it was a moment where like one of the moments that I like bursted out laughing because it's so absurd and like works. The song works so well with just the complete insanity you're seeing on screen. I think so. I think some of the shots that are edited in of like Haley and Genesis kind of storming the house or whatever don't totally work in the edit, but I think all of the stuff with the walrus fight and the song work really well together. Yeah. It's one of those like just perfect moments where it's so on the nose. And when the, and the music starts, I didn't realize right away that it was this song. And so when, when it actually does kick in, it's, it's just one of those like audio jokes to match with the ridiculousness of two adult men, (laughs) knowing that they're actors in walrus costumes uh, banging up against each other. It's, it's so <laughs> To funny. a very serious song. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, Kevin Smith has talked about, he was like, you know, like, I, when I was editing the movie, like, I was, I just used that song as, like, a placeholder because he was like, I know we were never going to get Tusk for the, the soundtrack. And I guess by the time it got to, like, the final edit where they're getting ready to do, like, sound mixing... Uh, like whoever was like backing the movie was like, no, they were like, we, we have to, we have to get the rights to this song. Like it's the only way this scene is going to work <laughs> properly. And he was like, I can't remember if he's ever said how much it cost, but he was like, it was by far the biggest expense in that movie was getting the rights to that song. He was like, it cost more money than building the walrus suits did. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You, you always sort of hear that with like small indie films where they're like, I need to have this song in my movie at some point. And it's like whatever X most popular band artist sort of thing. Yeah. Just like, I, you know, this is going to decimate your budget, but it has to be in there. And it really does work great because it just like any because at that point, I feel like you're so invested in it. And then when this music, this song comes on and they're having this ridiculous <laughs> fight with each other, you're just like, all oh, right, this is a silly movie. <laughs> there's also like, there's moments in the regular score too that you can like, I think Christopher Drake is the guy's name that did the, that composed it. Like there's parts, I, especially when I think it's um Justin long, like driving to Howard's house that the score is kind of like very reminiscent of Tusk where it's just like the wild kind of overlapping drum beats and like stuff like that. And like, I, I don't think I ever noticed that until watching it this time, like just refreshing to to do the podcast. Like I was like, oh, like a lot of this like actual original score in this feels like very heavily influenced by that. And I like I just for whatever reason never noticed it before. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I do you have any last things you want to say about uh, the movie before we sort of get into the the next portion of of this show, or are you ready to move on? Yeah, just two things just to, to point out real quick that I think are like two of my favorite moments. The um, I love Genesis Rodriguez's performance when she does the like straight down the barrel like monologue about like being with Justin Long, knowing that he's mm. like cheating on her, 
and like crying and like i just i I don't know i think i think that performance just deserves a little shout out and then the ending of the movie with uh where they they you know uh i guess if you've made it this far spoilers but like justin long's character has like killed howard and is now just like has gone full walrus and is just living in like a zoo as like (laughs) as a walrus but there's like they show it and like, you know, they, they show up with like the fish or whatever, but there's like slurpy soda cups smashed all over the place. So he's still like yeah. having those. And it's just like this. There's a small moment that like I've only I only noticed the last handful of times I watched it like, you know, uh Genesis and Haley's character are up there. They're like they throw him the fish and he's like eating it and he's looking at him and. Uh, like there's just they have the like whatever little back and forth and like Justin Long's characters like cries in the suit and one of the tears just kind of goes down one of the tusks just by like happenstance yeah and it's just kind of like a I, like a, a moment that I noticed that I was like I kind of love that that this is just like accidental moment that happens that just adds to the scene of just like this weird bizarre ending of him like living in a zoo as a walrus now. Yeah. It was it's actually kind of a a pretty sad ending too because like I don't know, at that point I'm I'm pretty invested in, in the story and just like the idea of someone deciding to remain alive while in this situation and being forced to live in a zoo and the the tragedy of all of that is in like his ex girlfriend and ex podcast host who are clearly now together visiting him to throw him a fish it's just like the most depressing thing I could think of to end this movie on yeah and then it ends with like it just goes like straight into like Gerard Way doing like this old like like a, a rendition of I think like an old like sailor song called Oh Wally that just like like also just makes it sadder as the music starts playing i don't know it's just like a really good kind of downer ending for this just bizarre movie yeah uh and then of course it shifts in the credits to playing the clip from the original podcast episode of kevin smith talking (laughs) about it it's just like all right now we're back to uh to where the movie started (laughs) yeah it's like that podcast episode is really good because it's just like like, after Red State, like, Smith, I think, had been, like, I don't know, maybe, like, f- five years or something like that since he'd made a movie and was just like, oh, I'm done, like, making movies. Like, I'm going to do Hit Somebody at some point. But, like, um, I'm just, I, I think I'm done with the movie business. And you kind of hear him click in the middle of the episode of just being like, no, like, you know, tr- trademark Kevin Smith. Like, I'm fucking, like, I think I this could be a real movie. And he's like, I think I could make this happen. Like you hear the switch in the middle of the episode. It's just kind of interesting that like the, from like, I think it was like something like six months from like that podcast episode to the movie being completed. And like, it was, it was just kind of this like fascinating thing as somebody that like listened to his podcast at the time, like just watching that like unfold was just this really fascinating thing. And like, I will say like, the thing that eventually got me to start I Hope You Suffer was like listening to Kevin Smith on these podcasts and like doing Q&As where he's just like, no, just like this, like this kind of like world and even like movies doesn't need to be populated by people who have the 
Like he's been saying this sort of thing since like clerks came out. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be populated by people that have the connections. Like you can find a way to like, just go do this thing with your friends. And like, yeah, it may not be like massively popular, but like you're still doing it. And like, it's a, especially podcast is a space where like people, you don't have to like, you have stories to tell, go tell your stories. And it was one of those things like after a bunch, like I'd been wanting to do a podcast for a while. And I was just like, you know what? I was like, I'm a message kit and see if he wants to like do this thing. I don't know what it'll be, but like, we'll like piece it together or whatever. And it was like, I don't know. Like I kind of credit him with like the, the finally being like, okay, I'm going to like get off my ass and go like do this thing. No, I think, I think that's a, a great sort of cap to end uh, the discussion there because I think you really encapsulated perfectly what works about this movie and why maybe some people probably won't like it, but really who cares? Like this is, this is clearly meant for people who he knew would like it. And he, he delivered upon that. I, I, I truly believe that he delivered something that would appeal to the people that would want this type of movie. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that you like overall enjoyed it. Cause like I said, like, especially like when we talked about like Katie watching it, like it's a movie that either, you're with it or you're not. And like, you know, we've had the conversations that like horror movies aren't exactly your thing. And so like going into it, I was like, yeah, I was like, (laughs) I was like, I, I kind of leaned heavily more towards, you're going to be like, this is interesting, but this did not work for me. So I'm glad (laughs) that you like actually, you know, enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to get into our game portion. So as usual, with all of these A24 retrospective episodes, we are having two games that we are going to play. The first is our double bill pairing, where the only rule is you cannot pair it with another A24 film. So Nathan, I'm going to start with you. What movie do you think is going to make a great double feature with Tusk? Okay, so I have two because one one is a sort of obvious choice if you know the movie, and one is a outside-the-box pick because we kind of talked a little bit like that both of us were like, ah, I don't know how to go with, with this one for like a double feature. Cause it kind of doesn't, it's very, very sort of singular movie. And like all of the obvious picks were just like, I don't know, like a Cronenberg body horror type thing. So my, uh, my sort of obvious pick is 1993's freaked by Alex winter and Tom Stern, which is a, very, very much inspired by MTV sort of era uh, comedy about Alex Winter playing this actor that gets mutated by like some like toxic waste type stuff and is just full of all of these creatures with kind of incredible special effects work, uh, uh, special effects work like uh, designs, including or uh, all done by screaming mad George who also did like society. If uh, people are 
familiar with that. He did like the all the special effects work for Nightmare on Elm Street three and like Bride of Reanimator. Um, but it's mostly like mostly a comedy. But there's there's definitely some kind of like extremely bizarre moments that I think would work really well, double like paired up with Tusk and if uh if you're kind of old enough to remember like liquid television era MTV like and you liked that stuff I think you would really enjoy Freaked it's not it's almost never in print but there's like you know rips of it on YouTube if you want to watch it and then uh my my sort of out of the box choice is this movie from 1976 from Hong Kong called The Oily Maniac, directed by Ho Ming Hao, that is a, a movie about this guy that uses a magic spell to turn into an, a, a, a monster made of oil that is also kind of a superhero. <laughs> it's, uh, I think, pretty hard to find streaming anywhere. But you can find it's it's pretty available on like Blu-ray uh, if you have, especially if you have like a region free Blu-ray player of some kind, you could definitely find like UK and like Hong Kong releases of it. But it is a this extremely cool and weird movie about, like I said, like about this guy that just kind of sort of becomes a vigilante for things where he's just like a very very weird looking monster made out of uh oil that i yeah. highly recommend like if, if you just google it and look at the creature and it's like <laughs> i feel like you could get behind get on the wavelength with with the way that creature is with the 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 creature from tusk yeah that's really cool i've i've don't know i've heard of freak before but i i'm, I'm not too familiar with it. i've never heard of the oily maniac so i always appreciate that you uh you come to uh these pretty cool recommendations for uh, to share on the show. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been, I've been diving really into kind of seventies through the nineties, like Hong Kong cinema this year. And that was like one of the standouts that when I was trying to find something, I was like, Oh, I think this would be like a really fun, like double feature with Tusk. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, here I am going to be spoiling a 91-year-old movie, but if you haven't seen this movie yet, I'm sorry. Uh, my pairing is very similarly named to your first one. It is Freaks, which is a 1932 movie about a touring carnival that features sideshow attractions uh, portrayed by people with real physical disabilities. One of the characters is Cleopatra, a trapeze artist who tries to scam a dwarf to get his large inheritance. But when her plot is revealed, the other circus workers cut her legs off, cut her tongue out, and tar and feather her to make her a living duck, where she becomes an attraction for people to gawk at, much like what happens to Wallace. Yeah, that's a that's a good pick, too. That was one of the ones that I also was kind of, like, considering outside of the, uh, when I, when I was like, okay, I gotta, like, get away from mostly, like, body, body horror ideas because it seemed, like, too on the nose. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I ended up going to this in Freaks. I guess what you would call a proto body horror movie because it is so early in film's history, and, and body horror didn't really become a thing till later. But because it was pre code, they were able to kind of 
get much more gross yeah. with the finale and very depressing too. kind of kind of similar how I feel about the uh, the ending to Tusk where it's just like just like damn this feels bad <laughs> yeah yeah I haven't watched Freaks in a while and I, I that's the one thing I do remember I was like oh this is like like this this does not make me feel good <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely uh, so it's kind of funny that our pairings are freaks and freaked. Uh, so I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's go to the next portion, which is uh, a would you rather. Uh, it could be about anything related to the movie tangentially or not, as long as it sort of makes us think for a moment about which one you would rather pick. So uh, so lay it on me. What, what's your would you rather question? Okay. So would you rather spend a year as a human walrus or live for two months where every waking moment you have to hang out with Gila point. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) damn. Okay. I'm taking the walrus. Um, Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. I, I don't, I don't like either of these options here there, Nathan. Um, yeah, I think I think walrus depends. Uh, is is my tongue actually cut out, and are my legs actually cut off, or if after this year do I regain full bodily control? I think after the year you just you regain control, but you have to you have to pretend to be a walrus for the entire year. Okay, okay. Like you don't get your arms oh. sewn to your sides like a <laughs> like a T Rex or whatever. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, just because of, of how much I really hated that Johnny Depp character, uh, I'm going to go walrus. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now Winnipeg is not exactly the ideal location for anyone to get stranded in during its winters. It regularly drops below negative 30 degrees Celsius, which is negative 22 Fahrenheit for Americans like you and any that might be listening. Hard pass. Uh, the city yeah, the city also has an abnormally large amount of stabbings, uh, which is not something any city should be known for. Uh, I won't name any other Canadian cities that you wouldn't want to be stuck in, but I'm going to ask you, would you rather be stranded in Arizona or Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Arizona is too hot. I had uh, relatives that lived there growing up and i remember going to visit on days it would be like 118 degrees out and i i cannot handle the heat <laughs> so i'm gonna say oklahoma I'll, t- I'll take boredom over just brutal heat any day <laughs> it's funny i was basically just googling worst states to live in in america and like just looking at the ones that con- consistently were popping up as some of the worst places to live obviously uh people could infer other reasons why both are, are <laughs> shitty places to live in or be stranded in but uh along your rationale i'm gonna go in the same thing i'm sure arizona probably has some some nice exciting things to do in the desert i don't know uh i like baseball so there's baseball out there and, and hockey but uh yeah the weather situation I, I would not be good in that so i'd probably choose oklahoma too yeah there's there's like arizona at least has stuff to do i don't know enough about oklahoma but it seems like it's a place that probably doesn't have a lot to do but like i'm one of those people that like i like i hate the winter but at least when it's cold out you can make yourself warm i feel like when it's just like that hot like no matter what you do you're just hot 
and it, I can't escape yeah. it. So I, I, and I can't handle that. So I will, I will take any state that is not going to make me overwhelmingly hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, but yeah, that, uh, that wraps up our show today. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you and your work? And is there anything you want to promote? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me back. I was looking forward to this. Um, you can listen to, I hope you suffer pretty much anywhere. Uh, kind of like Dakota said at the beginning, like we cover quote unquote, wonderfully terrible movies. Um, periodically throw like something good in there to just treat ourselves. But, uh, usually movies with titles like Dudas colony of the dead and tsunami and garbage like that. So if you don't want to watch those movies and you want to hear people talk about them instead, uh, check out, I hope you suffer. We're pretty much anywhere. We have Patreon, all that stuff that you can find if you're interested. And then, uh, I also have a, a movie podcast with my partner that kind of, infrequently post episodes but we're around called nate and kate movie club uh i think the last episode we did was argento's dark glasses where i complained about movie theater experiences being the worst now so i was like i feel like half the episode was just us i've i've been to a movie theater twice now since covid and both experiences were just uh, the, uh, we went to see the new Doctor Strange where a child spent the first hour screaming the entire time and then the second hour they let the kid watch YouTube videos at a, like as loud as possible on the phone. Oh my god. And then we actually went to the North American premiere of Argento's new movie where people spent the entire time like talking to the screen at the premiere and like Including what? a lady that every time any sort of piece of music played during the score would get up and dance. And I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. No more movie screenings <laughs> for me. <laughs> it, it really does feel like people forgot how to behave in public after being locked inside for a couple of years. Yeah, I think people just have got to the point where they're just like, well, well, it's also I think streaming kind of didn't help either where it's just like people are so used to being able to watch stuff in their home and just the movies now are just a thing you want. I have in the background where you're like looking at Instagram. And so I think they just, just translated over to the actual movie theater experience and it's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. I've definitely had some very weird circumstances too. Nothing quite like that. Um, but I, I actually got an email about uh, getting a screener for Dark Glasses. I didn't respond to it. Is it a good movie? Did you like it? Um, it's it's fine. Like I'm, I I think Argento's run of like his first, I don't know, ten movies is like borderline a perfect run of movies. And then in the '90s, he starts like drastically going downhill in quality. And Dark Glasses is better than like his anything his like post 80s output but it's also not really good either it Mm. like it got promoted as being like oh argento's like return to the giallo and it's mostly plays like a an american slasher throughout most of it which did not work for me but there's like there's things in it that are pretty fun but there's it's like a you know a lot of it didn't work for me. I think I gave it like a two and a half or maybe two stars on Letterboxd. 
That's a thing that I feel like if you could watch for free, absolutely watch it. Or if you were like an Argento diehard, it's it's worth watching. But if you're like, it's kind of neither of those situations, then like, yeah, yeah. I say you could skip it. Okay, good to know. All right, well, I'll uh, I'll make sure to to link to all the I hope you suffer in the name Kate Movie Club in the show notes so that people can check that out as well. But you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you have seen Tusk, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you like listening to this show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.